We are a small, all-volunteer arts education organization. Our board is comprised of nine people. A vote can be approved with a majority. I'm wondering if a committee is made up of five board members, a majority vote, does that make the other board members feel disenfranchised when the committee brings a recommendation to the full board? Would it be better to have non-board members if we want to expand the committee? So I, I do think it's a good question because if you've got, if, if the majority vote, right, if it's, if you need five board members to pass something and five of these board members are on this committee and bringing it to the rest of the board, it, it, it can feel a bit kind of like this is just a, a checking the box sort of thing instead of something substantive. So I think it's a good question. I think it's something I would recommend even talking about when you think about how you're structuring committees. And to your point, like maybe committees, there's some rule or some kind of you put something, whether it's in your bylaws or you just decide that, hey, committees are always going to be comprised of sort of a minority um, so that we're they're able to kind of we're able to have multiple committees. People aren't burned out, you know, serving on too many committees. And then we can come to the full board with um, that is the majority of to share the work we've done. Um, so I think it's a really uh, good question. I think it's an important structural question from a involving outsiders on uh, non-board members, you know, kind of outside of the organization on a committee. I think it's a great way to build a recruitment pool for future board members or perhaps people who want to do good but don't want the full board commitment. So I think it's a great idea. I think you want to look at which committees you would be comfortable sharing information with um, that, that is maybe sensitive information or perhaps things that are really you would have to be in the know of kind of more of the mechanics of the board uh, structure and organization to do well. So an example of that is a governance committee. I think that is a that can be a tough committee to have a ton of outsiders because part of that committee's role is usually making recommendations on who moves into an officer position, who moves in, you know, whose term board term if you have them if you have board terms gets renewed. So from a com that committee if you don't really know the performance of your fellow board members or that's not being tracked, that can be tough for an outsider. Um, I, I could, I mean, and just, I can say that out of, you know, kind of one corner of my mouth and then I could argue the opposite to that saying maybe it helps to neutralize that with someone who doesn't know any of the parties and can ask more objective questions. So I don't think there's a right or wrong to that. I'm kind of going down the rabbit hole here, but what I'm thinking of is like committees, you do want to really make sure you're comfortable and you feel like someone from kind of, an external non-board member would either receives the proper training to do well in that role, uh, the proper orientation to do well in that role, and and can serve you can serve you well. And it's it's a great way, as you said, to kind of extend maybe a smaller board and also make sure that you don't have these committees that are made up of a majority of your board that's basically going to approve their own committee's work at the board meeting, which <laughs> seems kind of silly, right? Yeah, I, don't know. I guess so. I mean, I, I think the there's sort of a committee philosophy question baked into this one, too. So I always treated and that's probably not how everybody does it, but I always treated committees as the the place where you can actually get into the details of something mm -hmm. um, more deeply than you can in a board meeting, because a board meeting should be quick 
all of the answers should already be decided before the board meeting starts. It's just sort of a, it's our opportunity to sort of all sit together, get the business out of the way and then talk about other stuff. But a committee is where you actually, at least on the, like the finance committee, for example, you want to sit down and look very carefully at everything and be able to explain all of the lines and what's working, what's not working, any kind of questions that you might have, make sure that everybody's really familiar with it so that when you get into the board meeting, all the committee's doing is saying, we're recommending, here's the financial statements. We're recommending the financial statements for approval. And and that's it. You know, and there shouldn't necessarily be any discussion because the committee's already done the work. So I think with that philosophy, I don't know that I would be, I would have a problem with the committee having the majority of the board members on it. Because that just means that now the majority of the board members have had the opportunity to do the deep dive in that particular topic. So I agree, like maybe nominating committee would be weird. (laughs) Like to have like there there are committees that seem like, you know, you may want not to have outsiders on it. And I think I'm mixing up my my answers now, too. But but like the I don't see where it's a problem, honestly. And to to kind of get into the other question of like, can you bring outsiders onto the committees? Sure. You can bring outsiders onto the committees. I mean, Stacy's point about the nominating committee is probably one where you wouldn't want to, but um, I regularly do that with finance committees because you get a bunch of people on the finance committee that think they understand it, but don't really. And then, so you might need some, some strength in areas that other people don't have, whether it's investments or endowments or, or just, straight up accounting knowledge or nonprofit accounting knowledge or something that you want on that committee to make it stronger, but that person isn't going to be a board member. Um, sure. Absolutely. Add people to that committee. Um, and then they, you know, then, you know, it helps the board know that that committee has the sort of the financial intelligence to be able to say whether or not what the, uh, the financial statements say, whether that's accurate or not, whether the audit is accurate or not, things like that. Um, and then they feel more comfortable just approving it without having to dig into the details themselves. Yeah, no, I love that. And the other point, a couple of other points while we're talking about committees is to is to give your committee, I mean, make sure that when you are forming committees and thinking about who you want on that committee, think about what who the committee chair will be and if you want to require that being a board member since that person is probably going to be, you know, will be the liaison to the full board at the board meeting. So that's generally where you see those kinds of structures work is that you can say, yeah, we, ha- we can have a committee of, of non-board members um, or of people that are a mix of people not on the board and, and some board members, but for sure the, ch- the, the committee chair needs to be a board member. That just, yeah. you know, philosophically makes sense and just structurally makes sense. Um, and I, I do think to your point, I do want to say this, like to really like drive home the idea that committees, like I think the greatest frustration for anyone who has served on a committee before and gets to a board meeting where the board starts to question, like all of the committee's work, it, it is, there is nothing more aggravating than, than the committee who's like, we have, do you know how much time we've spent on this? Do you know, <laughs> like the minds we have around this table that have vetted this? So unless there is something really like glaringly wrong or that we really missed, like this should be kind of a non-issue, which is why you've empowered us to serve on doing this work in between board meetings. And it just, I I think you see that happen. Like I, I had seen once with an organization where, you know, they had their, they had their nominating committee or, and, uh, when they came, 
with recommendations of, about potential new board members to the board, there was a board member who was like, well, why doesn't the full board get the chance to, to interview this candidate? And, you know, like the committee chair was like, well, you know, then that means we have 12 people interviewing a candidate and it's going to create a whole lot of redundancies, right? Like with it, like, like it makes no sense. And the whole point of committees is to like stretch, stretch the work, stretch, you know, help, help get into those details in between. So um, great questions and uh, kudos to you for identifying what, what is probably something that needs to be changed with, with the organization structure. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. Welcome to Nonprofit Everything, the podcast where hosts Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding answer your questions about all things nonprofit. Hello, it's the Nonprofit Everything podcast, which you know because you just heard one of the segments and an announcer with a much better voice than mine telling you that this is the Nonprofit Everything podcast. So if this is the first time you've ever listened to this, welcome. Thanks for joining us. The way this works is uh, you guys send us questions and Stacy and I do our best to answer them. If we can't answer them, we get in a guest expert um, or if we just think a guest expert would do a much better job than we would. We get a guest expert and uh, we see if we can get that question answered for you. And I realize that's, that's a lot of pressure, right? It's, we're sort of putting the whole impetus of this on you. And I get that. Like some, I feel like that a lot of days too, right? I, the last thing I want is someone to give me another thing to do. So tell you what, if you don't have a question for us, don't send us one. That's fine. But if you do, if something that we talk about today or something that we've talked about in the 121 other episodes that we've done of this podcast over the last lots of years um, strikes a question, uh, go ahead and send us that question. The easiest way to do that is to, to go to the Nonprofit Everything webpage and click the Ask a Question button. That gets to us immediately. Also, you can find us all the other ways that you can find people online nowadays, which is pretty much super easy. So go find the Nonprofit Everything podcast webpage. The show notes are there, which always has additional information. That's always a useful tool. And um, with that, we'll jump right into it. All right, Andy, here's one for you. Clark County, Nevada requires organizations to apply for a charitable organization certificate. The application is pretty simple, just one page plus attachments. One of the attachments is, quote, the official statement of charitable purpose, end quote. What are they talking about? Is it as simple as a mission statement or is it something more? Is this something I can pull directly from our Form 990? Are all of my answers in IRS Publication 557, where it basically gives the definition of 501c3 corporations? Could we be organized for more than one charitable purpose? And how does something that seems so straightforward end up being so complicated? <laughs> <laughs> Can I answer the first one, the last one first? How does yes, something please. that seems so straightforward become so complicated? Because you were talking about municipal code. So, yes. so oh, if, if bureaucracy, baby, that's why. <laughs> oh. if you want to be alternately confused and angry and bewildered all at the same time, um, I would recommend that you go to 
the website and I will put a link in the show notes if you really want to do this to yourself um, to the Clark County, Nevada Code of Ordinances, specifically Chapter 6.58 Charitable Solicitations, which is where this the the rules for this charitable solicitation registration statement or charitable solicitate, what is it, Ch- official statement of charitable purpose and charitable organization certificate rules are coming from. <laughs> it is wow. excruciating. And I, I don't hate reading things like this. Like I've, I've said, I know I've said in the past that I find like reading IRS instructions, like strangely calming because it's, it's, they're just giving you rules. It's like reading a math book. Like, here's what you're going to do next. Okay. Now do it. Right. It's, it's that straightforward. This one is hilarious. It is absolutely amusing. So just for context, it was written in 1989. Um, if we back up this, I thought was fun. If we back up, no, I'm sorry. The next one, chapter 6.65 is rock music concert promotion where rock is in quotes. So there's obviously some definition of rock music in Clark County statutes as well. It was written in 1974, clearly because somebody was very upset about rock music promoters. So all of <laughs> all of these things are, um, uh, gosh, they, they're they're written. The purpose of them is to prevent people from standing outside fronts of supermarkets and hassling you to buy candy to to raise money for whatever thing they just made up. <laughs> So everyone's had that experience. It is, ex- it is extremely annoying. And so the, the county has decided that, and, and all municipalities do this, and it's not Clark County, Nevada, everybody does that, that you need some sort of license or permit to be able to undertake that activity. And so that it falls under sort of the, the, the business licenses, the business license requirements um, for people who do these things. Now, unfortunately for us, the charitable solicitation one is just just this grab bag of here are all the terrible things someone could do to raise money in silly ways. And here are all the ways that you have to like get licensed and get a permit. It's actually talks about, you have to have an identification card. So, you know, if the kids come by your house on the 3rd of July selling, wanting to sell you fireworks, they're supposed to have an identification card. If the Girl Scouts show up at your door and want to sell you cookies, they're supposed to have an identification card. Um, the like the likelihood that they do is very that's, low. Yeah. Well, that's doesn't that seem a little nuts? I don't know. Well, anyway. I mean, it's I mean, I mean, I don't think <laughs> I don't know. We let's we can bring someone else on to talk about the utility of business licenses. But if you do charitable solicitation in Clark County, the County ordinances say that you need to fill out this form and you need to you need to get the license that allows you to do charitable solicitations. And it really is just to prevent people from doing annoying things and raising money and not being a nonprofit, right? Going door to door and asking you for money to do whatever, but it's really just to go in their pocket. It's to prevent those kinds of behaviors, which as we know, like half of state statutes set up to manage nonprofits are for exactly that. It's for sort of evil solicitors that are doing th- things that are just illegal. Okay. Um, can I interact or interject for a minute? I yeah. totally, I totally am in support of that. So my, isn't that nuts comment is not about those bad people, right? <laughs> yeah. But my, but that is, but it catches us nuts, all in that net. It, it does. Yeah. Right. It catches us all. And that's what I hate about this kind of stuff is it just feels like, okay, there's like, no, there should be different. Like if you're going to go to um, the lengths to create something like this, then please like, let's break it down and make it a little more plausible for the average, the average person versus who you're actually like, like, who are you really trying to target with this? And I know you've got to write it generally, but it's just, this is the stuff that feels mind numbing, which is, I think 
perhaps the feeling that the the listener or you know our listener who wrote in this question probably has so yeah and and i'm and and this this code was put in in 1989 it hasn't been changed since um so maybe things are different now than they were in 1989 and it's time for someone to go back and take a look at it right so so if you if you live in clark county nevada maybe this is something you can talk to with your county commissioner. I don't know. Maybe they can get it changed. But to answer, okay, so that was the last part of the question. So <laughs> we'll back up a little bit and kind of do some of it. So one of the things they ask for is an official statement of charitable purpose. Well, if you go back to the 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 um the code and see exactly what it says, it tells you that the official statement of charitable purpose is just a general statement about what you're doing. Like you're what you're going to do with the money. And if there is a restricted purpose for the funds you're raising, like explicitly saying what that restricted purpose is. So, yeah, it could probably be off of your 1023 or the mission statement off of your 990. That's probably fine. I don't think anybody's ever going to um, like when you're when you're putting that together, nobody's going to kick the application back and go, this isn't specific enough. Right. They're going to they're just going to look at it and make sure that it is charitable. If you are a 501c3, you probably get a pass on that thing anyway, because they know that you've gone through the process of getting your 501c3. It's when they're looking at somebody that's saying, you know, I want to raise money to give it to, you know, whatever cause of the week, but you're not a 501c3, then they're going to scrutinize whether or not you're allowed to do that or not. Right. So, you know, so, so for the rest of the questions, like, can you be organized for more than one charitable purpose? Sure. I mean, and what's on your your 1023, which is again, that form that you, your organization created when they got their 501c3 initially with the IRS. If you've been around for a while, it's years old. It's probably no longer applicable, but every time you do your 990, you kind of refresh that language. So you don't have to actually go back and say, you know, when we said we were going to do this, we were going to um, eradicate polio, <laughs> but but we don't do that anymore because we don't really have, well, we do now, but we didn't have polio. So we're going to do other things. So you don't have to go back and change your 1023 every year to say what new disease you're going to try to eradicate, right? So um, yeah, again, I go back to that code, read it. It's hilarious. There's some funny stuff in it. And I mean, maybe you can't be sniped as easily as I can with um, county code, but there's hilarious stuff. And if you want to know the rec- definition of rock music, that's in there too. Okay, Andy, here you go. It seems like so many people want to give concrete things like jackets or toys or even their own used stuff. How do we move people away from giving us tangible items to valuing our services and giving us a monetary donation instead? <laughs> well, I think there are two reasons. I mean, I think the best way to look at this is to look at why donors are giving you what to give you concrete things and and not not to hurt your feelings, but it probably isn't because they don't value your services. That's not that's probably not coming into their minds at all. So one of the reasons is, especially if they're giving you stuff that already they already have, um, that doesn't cost them anything. And and usually the 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 decision that they're making is do I donate this or do I throw it away? Or do I have a garage sale? That sounds excruciating, right? Nobody wants to do that, right? So do I throw this away or do I donate it? So they prefer to donate it, right? And you'd probably prefer that they donate it too rather than having it go to the landfill. Or maybe you just want them to donate it to someone else. Um, And then the other reason, which is sort of related to not valuing your services, is, is that sort of agency theory thing we talk about all the time, or at least I talk about all the time, which is if if I give you money, 
now I have to trust that you're going to use that money the way I want you to give use the money, right? And I don't really, as a as a person donating something to you, I don't have a whole lot of control over that. Um, if I have a lot of money, I can make you do a grant agreement and I can require that you send me receipts and things like that. But if you're just sending somebody a check, like you got really no control over whether or not, I mean, even if you restrict it, you still have very little control over whether or not they're going to use that money. Um, the nonprofit's going to use that money the way you think they should use the money. Right. And we see this, I mean, see this poor, poor Red Cross gets hit with this constantly is that there's a disaster. And everybody's mad because they're giving the Red Cross money and the Red Cross isn't spending that money on the disaster that's currently happening because they're not idiots and they've got money saved up and they're using the money they've already saved for the current disaster and the money you're giving them now, they're going to save for the next one, right? <laughs> because, because that works a lot better, <laughs> right? But so, so sometimes donors aren't the most uh, sophisticated <laughs> in the, you know, they don't think it through. They think, what do I want? They don't really think about how good you are at your job. Um, so That's I say it kind of, of you, you said that very kindly, <laughs> did I, <Yeah. laughs> um, so I think, you know, recognizing that is, and then trying to meet them where they are is, is I think maybe the solution. So you're never going to be able to get them to donate money to you for free. Like maybe that's what, when we keep seeing like absurd matching donations, like if you give us a dollar, we've got a six way match and it's worth $7 or something like that. Right. So that might be one way to encourage someone to give you money instead of giving you things, because then sort of the value of what they're giving you is higher than it would normally be. That could be a tool. Um, the other thing is just to be really clear about how you're spending your money, um, making sure that they see what the outcomes are. And, and the outcomes are really clear to them, then they're much more likely to give you cash to be able to fund those outcomes. You're never going to stop people from giving you things just because it's easy, uh, but you can do a better job probably of, of getting them to trust the way you're going to use the money is the most effective way to use the money. So, And I think I would add that there's two different kinds of like when you're giving things, right? So, so one of those, you know, one of the ones you described, Andy, was that I just, I'm, I'm going to give it away. Like I, I either dump it or donate it. Right. Like, and so what am I going to do with this? And so I, you know, Hey, kudos to them for saying, I want to donate. Um, and they'll let you, you know, hopefully use it or repurpose it in some way. Uh, and there's that. And, and I feel like that donor mentality in general it's like you're filling, you know, you're fulfilling, of course, this need right there in the moment that the donor has. And the donor is like, I need to get rid of this stuff, like, and I need something convenient, which is why you hear the goodwill model is wildly successful beyond other models that have sort of like the collection bins, because goodwill is like on every corner, practically, um, of different communities, right? Like, you, you feel like you can, like, that's really easy. It's like, oh, that's, that's no, like a no brainer. So, so it's convenience, right? And so I think sometimes those donors, I don't know if they're ever going to truly become more than just like for them, that is a channel of convenience. Um, and so, so that's kind of meeting that need in their head. And so for those kinds of donors, I think the only way to sort of perhaps maximize that is, does that, does that donor know and do they care? I mean, let's be honest, let's, let's just be honest here. Do they care what 
what happens with that donated item. And so I think there's an opportunity to say, hey, when you give us this, this is what we do with it. And it can be as simple as like when, you know, usually you have people that are accepting the items or the tangible goods and can just give them a little, you know, a little flyer or something, right? Like a little receipt, but on the back of it says, hey, did you know? And sometimes, right, like that just is enough for a donor to either like go, wow, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that. I want to check out more about this organization. So, I mean, I think there is that piece of it. Um, that's much more like kind of soft, more passive marketing, but is an opportunity to tell more about like, here's what we're doing with your items. It's not just you giving us an item, like here's from what happens from the minute you drop it off to like where, what we do with it. And so um, that, that sometimes can help um, just kind of build that relationship in a way that it becomes more than just the item. And it really talks about the service you provide. And then like kind of the second thing, thinking about tangible donors or tangible items that donors give is you see it around the holidays particularly, right? Like they'll have the angel tree where you pick your angel and, oh, I get to pick this family, right? Like in this family of four and they've had such hard times this past year and this is the the what the kids need and the toys they need and here's what the parents need or whatever. And if you think about the donor psychology behind that, right? The donor is going, wow. Like it is the direct correlation between I am giving something tangible to this family. Like it is such a personal experience. It feels personal and it feels like, you know, exactly back to that control thing. I know exactly that what I'm getting is going to go to this family and like how much more rewarding does it get? So I would challenge you to think about how do you do that in ways with your services? Because um, it, like, again, there's a way to tell the story about a service you're providing to that one family or that one person or, hey, donor, you just gave and helped support this family during the holidays, but they need support all year long. And these are the kinds of things we do all year long. And so it really like the undercurrent of all this in my mind is how do you tell the story? How do you share that story of that one family, that one person, and how, whether it's an, a tangible item or the service that will help change the rest of their life, like the donor makes a difference. And you've got to be able to figure out how you compel the donor, like, the donor goes, wow, like, I don't want to, I don't want to stop here. Like, this was cool for the holidays, but man, wouldn't it be cool to know I'm helping support others like this family all year long? And that's, that's what you want to create. And you don't create that with just the tangible item. You take the tangible item and move it down kind of like the, the, the pathway of here's now how that moves into services. So I hope over the last half an hour, something that we talked about was at least slightly useful that we've, or if not that, maybe we've, we've wasted um, a half an hour of your commute um, by doing something other than listening to terrible, terrible news. So that's what we're here for. Send us questions. The easiest way to do that is to send them to the Nonprofit Everything webpage. You can click the ask a question button. That'll get right to us. Send us more questions and then we'll have more things to talk about. Um, if you think that we did a terrible job 
call us, let us know, send us a, send us a note on the, from the nonprofit, everything webpage and tell us what we can do better. We're always trying to make this more interesting, more fun. Uh, make it something that every couple of weeks, when you see that thing pop up on your feed, you're like, Oh yeah, I want to listen to that. So if we're not doing the job, let us know how we can make it better. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm.